So in Romans 4.21, it says, being fully persuaded, Abraham was fully persuaded. So we're ministering on this subject to get fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. He said he was fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. So I want to be fully persuaded. I, you know, we're all, we're all in there. We're all moved there. Even the world, the religious world, has a, has a, uh, has a preference for it. But we're fully persuaded. If you would go with me to the book of Job chapter 22. Job 22. If we didn't go to this one or 325, we might not ever go to Job. But here we are. Job 22. Look in verse 28 with me. Let's read it together. Are you there? Let's read it. Ready? Read. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy way. Let's put it in first person and do it again. I shall also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto me, and the light shall shine upon my ways. Now that's truth. And when you make it truth in your life, your life changes. There's not a complicated set of rules and, and laws and regulations that we as Christians have to adhere to in order to get righteous, in order to get good enough. We just believe, and then after that, that believing makes us want to change. Uh, Mark eleven twenty three says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. Those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. We need that to be a working truth in our life. We, we are powerful when that's working. When we believe that and we don't default to, oh my, what are we going to do? And the sky's falling. So uh, whosoever shall say to the mountain, so there's some saying here. Three times the word says saying. Shall say to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Amen. If you would slip into 2 Timothy with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's go a little different direction tonight. We're not going to be on this subject much longer. <clears throat> or not. <laughs> uh, we don't care it's the word we don't care what the word is uh, let's read verse 4 let's read verse 3 thou therefore endure hardness endure hardness so right there it tells you that there's hardness out there and we have to endure it well how come how come the Lord didn't deliver me from this and how come the devil's that well that's what makes us hard is enduring Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. So we could go to Romans 12 and say, Be not conformed to this world, entangled with the affairs of this life. We're in this world, but we're not of it. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And here it is, verse 5. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. This is very powerful. And if a man also strive for mastery, so it's a striving, it's a pressing, it's a work in us, working it in our, uh, into our soul, 
working it out of our soul, the things that aren't mastery, uh, not just saying close enough. Lots of people, it's close enough. Well, they don't have that confidence about going to heaven. They hope it's close enough, but they're not sure. If a man also strive for mastery, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So we talk about the phone, that there's ten digits, and you have to get every one of them in order. <laughs> You're talking to somebody that doesn't want to talk to you if you don't. And so there's two kingdoms. Let's just, let's just lay a little foundation here. There's two kingdoms, and both of them have different rules. They have the same rules, but, but they're lived differently, and there's a different harvest on them. The kingdom of heaven, if you live towards God, then you have different rules. You'll, you'll strive for masteries, and the world is, like I said, close enough. But you'll have a different harvest. You won't actually go out and, and, and necessarily work or trade for something, but you'll sow. We sow into things, and it's not always evidence right away what the harvest is, but it always comes. So there's a difference to us in that we're patient to wait for the harvest on things that we sow. Whereas the world, it's payday every Friday. And they got to be paid, and they got to see this, and it's got to it's pay off. So here, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that the kingdom of God is administrated by mastery. Let's say it together, mastery. This is lost in the, in the church uh, a lot, uh, mastery. Now think about this, after the Lord Jesus left and he was the body of Christ, now we are the body of Christ. He had mastery over everything that he dealt with, even though he was a man. And now we are expected to be just like him, mastery, mastery. And we've been talking about this, that a lot of the church is just acquainted with things, but they don't have mastery. But if you had a job, it wouldn't be a very good job if you didn't have mastery. Even if you're just making french fries, you better get them right, because we, we're not going to have too many orders that they're cold, they're, they're cooked, they're overdone, or whatever. You've got to have mastery at the fry later, or whatever you're doing. So let's, just let's, let's establish this for, for us and for broadcast. Life is not a, it's God's timing type kingdom. It's not a he's in control type kingdom. It's not a what will be, will be kingdom. Because he told us to have mastery. There's no use in having mastery. There's no, there's no need to pray. There's no need to sow if everything just turns out the same no matter which way you go. And that's what religion says. They're not responsible for what happens because after all, God's in control. Um, the life is not, I believe everything happens for a reason. When's the last time you heard that? I, I heard it recently. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. We don't understand, but we just trust God that this tr terrible thing, this trouble, is, is a, there, it's, there's a reason for it, and we don't need to buck it because God's in control, and he's going to work this thing out, and it's going to turn out better, and it doesn't. I said they give him a pass. They think it's God, and they give him a pass. So, let me say two things here, and we'll go into something new. First of all, we are all qualified to enter the competition. Let me read that verse. A man also strive for mastery, yet he is not crowned unless he strive lawfully. 
we are qualified to enter the competition by the new birth. Otherwise, you couldn't even contend. But the new birth has put us into competition, or it's not really a competition. It's a wrestling with the world. It's a wrestling with our flesh. It's a wrestling with our, with our soul where we strive for mastery. We work things out that aren't masterful. We work things out that are weakness. We work things out that are defeated or the victim. We work those things out and work things in that says I'm the head and not the tail. He always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. We're working those things in, and it'd be neat if it's like an Apple phone battery or something where you just take the old one out and slip one in and close up the case, and it's done. But it's not that way. We have to work stuff in, and we have to work stuff out. Amen? So it's uh, being transformed. But the second thing I wanted to say is that we are ordained to be crowned by mastering the kingdom. He said here, let me read it again, if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So we could turn that to say he is crowned if he strive lawfully. If he becomes a master in his craft, which is the kingdom, then he will be crowned. Well, I don't know what that means exactly about crown, but I know he, he causes us to triumph. He's uh, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. It's good. If the Lord crowns you, it's a good thing. It's worthy. It's not like, ah, oh, Cracker Jack, I got that prize last week. I don't care. No, it's, it's worthy to uh, be crowned. So I looked at some things about this mastery thing, because I'm on it. I'm, this mastery thing is really, uh, I think it's a, it's a real important gem in the kingdom. So I looked up the word ignorant. Because I think the church, basically, if y'all can agree, the church, the worldwide church, is ignorant. They have a good heart. They say they love God. They, they were born again many times. But they're just passive about the things of the kingdom, about being mastery, getting mastery in prayer. Mastery of resisting the devil. Mastery on laying hands on the sick. Mastery about dealing with uh, uh, temptation, lust and things. There's not mastery there. They just go the way of the world, and therefore, their lives are not crowned. We're, we're born again, and we're going to heaven, but we're not crowned. And if we had a job like that, we wouldn't be crowned either. Somebody just have to be pretty desperate for that kind of, I just showed up, tell me what to do, but I can't, I can't do anything for you. So Romans 1.13 says, I would not have you ignorant. <laughs> I looked up the word ignorant because I always thought the word ignorant, and I've said it, means that you just don't know. And that's exactly what it means. But the, the, the dictionary said it means to be hid or to be unawares. He said, I would not have you unawares. I would not have the truth hid. Uh, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you that I might have some fruit among you, even as among the Gentiles. I would not have you ignorant. Then I looked in Romans 10.3, it says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. He said, don't be ignorant, don't, be, don't have that truth hid. We sang a song tonight, there is therefore now no condemnation. Uh, the original words that uh, were put up, the song, I mean, the song says, we'll set you free. But that's not true. It has set us free. 
It's already happened. It will not. So if you listen to that, where we just sing past that. Uh, Romans eleven twenty five says, I would not, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Don't be, don't be ignorant. Don't have it hid. Don't be unaware. Mastery. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 1, it says, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And it goes on. Don't let anything be hidden or unaware. Second Peter 3, 5 says, For this they willingly are ignorant. So there's a... He's presenting there and he said they're ignorant. It's un, they're unaware. They're, they're like someone that's in a dark room and they don't know what's going on. Second uh, Peter 3, 3, 8 says, But beloved, be not ignorant. So we're the beloved, but we could be ignorant. We could be unaware. Were you ever unaware? I'm telling you, I, I fought things passively, but I fought things because I was unaware. I, I parroted what they said about the Holy Ghost and about how that passed away and how that's not for today and what those people are that do it and how deceived they are. And suddenly I'm on the other side and I go, you know, I was I was ignorant. I was unaware. It was hidden from me. Amen. So I found another scripture, and I saved this one for last. And my question is, is will God rescue the ignorant when they just don't care? In other words, they're not wanting to be enlightened. They're not wanting to be masters. They just like, I'm going to heaven, right? Yeah, you're going to heaven. Well, that's good enough. Well, I looked up the word, and in 1 Corinthians 14, 38, it says, But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. <laughs> So God's not going to violate your authority, what you believe and say. He's not going to fix it, even though what we believe and say is damaging to the kingdom. Let me say that again. He's not going to override us, even when we are damaging his kingdom, and we do, just because we're wrong. He's not going to save his kingdom and override us. He said, let the ignorant be ignorant still. So it's up, to, it's up to me. God's not going to just say, well, I, I, you're little and I need you to be big, but you're not big, so I'm going to just do it for you. He does not. So you wonder how come God doesn't heal somebody that's, uh, that's so wonderful, a, a great Christian, and just has such a heart and serves and, and just does. And you go, why would God let them go? Why doesn't he care? Let the ignorant be ignorant still. If someone doesn't tell them, and if they don't want somebody to tell them, their ignorance will cause them to go to an early grave or be disabled or something like that. Are you all with me? We're talking about mastery here and what it's going to take to enter into mastery because better than last year doesn't make we mean we have mastery. Hopefully we are better than last year, but I know a bunch of Christians that are not better than last year. So I know it could happen to me, that I could go two years and, and appreciably not be any different and not increase or have any more fruit than that. The, the new living, let's look, look back here in verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5. If any man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The new living says athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. So I always point to myself, Michael, follow the rules. Mastery. You won't have to... Ba we, do, we call them uh, do-overs. You won't have to go do that over because you did it wrong, because you didn't know, and the devil just whooped you. 
people took advantage and you have to do it over. You have to back out, reload, and, and go the other way. He said, uh, athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. The Passion Translation, did you know that was coming? It says, an athlete who doesn't play by the rules will never receive a trophy. So we could say cheaters never win. And lots of people are cheating. Now, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just encouraging you and me both to know what the, what the rules are, to know that it's not a pass if you don't press. If you don't press, God doesn't just give us a pass. He gave us a pass by giving us grace to do, to have mastery. There's a grace to have mastery. And if we just ignore it because we're being worldly, then we're going to suffer. We suffer when we don't know about healing. We suffer when we don't know about provision, supply, and funding. We suffer. And if we ever look back and say, you know, now I know I didn't have to suffer then, but in my ignorance, it was hidden and unawares. Not that God hid it, but I just wasn't hungry for it. I have found that you can hardly help people until they're hungry, until they want something and open a door in their heart you can hardly pour anything in. I was that way. And even now, I, I see myself sometimes not being as hungry as I would like to be. Amen. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 4. The approach I have to the Word here, as we're ministering, is to provoke us to love and good works. That's what Hebrew, I believe it's Hebrews that said, provoke one another to love and good works. So we're not just being pacified and like just, yeah, amen, amen. We're being provoked to love and good works. If y'all agree, y'all just need <laughs> to do something, hallelujah. Uh, so we see here that the system, God's kingdom is a system. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, the system of God and his righteousness, and all these things will work for you. The system of God is dependent upon the user. In other words, God's not running the kingdom. He's not running the kingdom. Amen. Who's running the kingdom? <laughs> Who's minding the store? We are. And we could go through all sorts of scriptures that prove that, but Jesus said, all power has been given unto me, all authority. Go therefore. The store is ours. So if the store is not producing, or if the store gets looted, or if the store burns up, so to speak, the kingdom, who's, who's responsible? Well, we are. Because we've been given the keys of the kingdom, and we know how to do this. So words are everything. If I am in charge by my words, and we looked at this for the last eight weeks, death and life are in the power of the tongue. If words are everything, and there is nothing happening in the kingdom apart from words, not good intentions, not, not uh, a love, I had love for them, I just didn't do it. If everything is based on words, then we're going to have to put a giddy up in. Because mastery says words will not be overlooked. I cannot get there. I'll show you a scripture here uh, in a minute. So God will not, this is an amazing statement. God will not intervene on your authority. If you speak the wrong thing and believe what you say will come to pass, you shall have whatsoever you saith. God will not intervene and take you out of danger. Now, he's good. And I, when I say danger, I mean out of foolishness. It'd be a big job to deliver the whole church out of foolishness. Because, <laughs> you know, we're tempted with it every day. So God does not, he doesn't even take over like we do as parents. 
if we see a, if we see our kid being a Picasso on the hall wall, we're we're not impressed. We take the color away from them, and their life changes. <laughs> and then you know we go to scrubbing. And you go well. That's what God ought to do. He ought to watch us if we're coloring on the wall, and take action. And that's what most of the church thinks, but it is not true. I'm in authority. You're in authority. And what gives me or what, what uh, extends my authority is my words. Believing words are everything on the earth. You go, no, God, God can do anything. No, he can't. He could do anything. And so in his could to do anything, he made the system where he said man's in charge. That was where he could do anything. And he made a system where you and I are in charge. And then he gave the tools or the gear or the, the equipment of that is words, believing hearts, coming out with words. That's the end of the authority. That's how it is. The last man, the last word standing is doing the commanding. So uh, God does not take over from words that undermine our lives. So you see Christians that are living terrible lives. I told you all about King or Prince Philip saying, I don't want to be a hundred. And two months before he was, he was gone. You know, if you make it to 99 and three quarters, well, that's pretty good. But the point is, lots of people do not make it that. And other things that they do, they're broke and they say, we'll always be broke. We don't have a bucket to wash in or whatever they say. Mark chapter 4, verse 26, look what it says. Uh, and he said, so is the kingdom of God. So is the system of God. When he says the kingdom of God, he's telling you how the kingdom works. And let me tell you, how Jesus says the kingdom works is how the kingdom works. And th there's no deviation from that. That is how the kingdom works. Because there's been better men and women than you and me that have tried to get God to change it based on good behavior, on valiant acts, on intentions. And it never changed anything. It says in verse 27, and should sleep. Excuse me. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. This is how the kingdom works, the system. And should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. So my job, your job, is to cast seed in the ground. My job, your job, is not to know how it works. Any more than like we said last week, you put a key in the ignition and you know what's happening. You know the coil is sending the charge to the spark plugs and the cams turning it over and yeah, I, no, I don't know. I can pick out the engine from the muffler, that sort of thing, but you know, it's not much more than that. So, uh, for the earth bringeth forth fruit. So he's given us a parable, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after the full corn in the ear. So he's telling us that it's a process, that the kingdom of God, the system of God, is a process. Now that's different than the world that wants results. We're not talking about them investing, but the word says in the Old Testament, if a man worked for you all day, pay him at the end of the day. There was no payroll ledger that says, we'll get to you. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he put it in the sickle, because the harvest is come. This is the kingdom of God. We put in the sickle. 
And he saith, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom, the system of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. And when it is sown, when the mustard seed is sown in the earth, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge in it. So here we see how the kingdom works. Now you can disagree with it. You can say, I don't like the way he did it. You can say, I don't think that's how he did it. We can all jabber jaw, but this is how the kingdom works. And it's not going to be different than that. So here we see that the ground has no authority over what it produces. It has no decision. It has no input to the decision of what's going to grow in the ground. And so we know the ground is the world. We sow our seed. It's our heart, but it's also the world. So the ground is irrelevant. So if you were born with no parents or five years old, your mother died or, or you were beat all your life or you didn't have any money, that is the world. But none of that determines your end. It's the seed. Ground has everything you need, most of them, to grow an orange tree. But nobody eats the ground until the seed is processed the ground. There's no orange-tasting dirt. There's no watermelon-tasting dirt. And it'll make you sick if you eat the dirt. But the seed changes the ground. Well, the Lord Jesus was telling us here, there's all sorts of junk out there. Bad ground, good ground, weird ground, rocky ground, he said. Uh, there's a thorny ground. There's ground that's just ground. And none of it matters if the seed is right. Well, that gives us hope. Because we're surrounded by bad people, bad things, bad everything, bad situations, and we didn't have anything to do with it. It's just how life happened for us. And uh, so the authority, the seed has, the ground has no authority over what is grown in it. Now think about your life. Well, i got a bad life, i got this life, and it's not good, and this has happened, and why did God allow that to happen? He made the ground, but we plant the seed. So a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil or unbelieving or negative or fruitless things. So it's the seed. Let's say it together. It's the seed. It's only the seed. So it's not that you live in Alabama. It's not that you drive a Ford. It's not that your daddy was this and your mama gave you. No it's none of that stuff. You got to... You got an ugly brother. What, whatever life has dealt you, it's none of that makes any difference at all any more than you would that you would say this this tree cannot grow in this ground because I don't like the ground. The ground is ugly. The ground is is not right. The seed will change that. Amen. So if I plant a seed in my heart, if you plant a seed in your heart. The Bible says it will access everything that's in my life, everything that's in my life, and it will change it into whatever the seed is. And it will flow out of me like a river, and it will dominate the soil that's around me. My circumstances, my situations, my challenges, the things that are negative in my life, the seed will dominate it and change it into fruit. Pleasant fruit, good fruit. Do you know how many people that we admire that when you get their story, like Dr. Ben Carson, 
who grew up with a brother and a single mom and uh, had nothing and had no hope. But he, his mother planted the seed in him and said, we're going to read every night and then find out she couldn't even read. And this story is amazing that he was a pediatric brain. Is that right? Pediatric brain surgeon, renowned. And if you look at him, you would say, he doesn't look that quick. You know, he's, he's not, but he's renowned. He's done things that we, we could not, not even understand what he did. But his mother planted the seed, and the soil of his life was irrelevant because the seed had come. And we see all sorts of stories where people that had very little chance to succeed, but the seed was planted in them, and they changed. There's some great men that they got great. How did they get great? Because they read biographies, constantly read one biography, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and just went through them all, and they reaped those seeds of courage. I love, now this is personal, I love any movie that demonstrates courage. If it's, if, it's, if it's some sappy thing, I'll even take girls, the girls getting kissed and all that sort of stuff. We, you know, that doesn't matter. I want courage. I want fearlessness. And so I study it, and I get around it, and I find people that have it. Doesn't mean that they were in a, uh, a military thing and they came out with a gold star and all that. That does not matter. I look for people that are brave and courageous in everyday life because I know a seed's been planted in them that took life, which is unfair to everyone, and changed it into the glory of God. So the seed, when it's planted inside of you and me, it will produce whatever the seed is. So if you put a seed of uh, poverty, of lack, of shortage, of uh, a victim, if you put seeds of victim in your life, someone puts them in there and you receive them, I, we can predict your future. The short term anyway, until another seed gets planted and uproots that other one. So the soil does not decide the outcome of your challenge. Your bad or evil or short circumstances have zero input into your future if you can find a seed. Well, here we have a seed. But we even know that, that parents that encourage us, and tell their daughters, baby, you're the, you're the best looking thing that's ever come on the planet. And son, you are brilliant. You're smart. We, we plant seeds in our children. And they, for some reason, they just believe us. But if you have a parent that says you'll never amount to anything, they, they got to have a transplant. They got to have something dug up and replanted. It's very unusual for them to prosper. So we all know, let's just say this before we go. We all know that the dirt cannot meet our needs. Our environment, our soil, as it were, is not enough. You can, you can not plant any good seeds, and you can probably make a living, drive a car of some kind, live in a, some kind of house, but you won't flourish until a seed is planted in your life. And then all of the soil that seemed worthless Whatever's in that soil that you and I can't touch, we can't eat it, we can't use it, it is dirt. The seed will process that soil and draw up everything it needs to have an outcome of fruit. So the orange tree, the orange seed, will draw up whatever's in there, in the soil, and it'll make a marvelous thing. He talked here about the mustard thing. So uh, words are seeds. 
And words will convert your soil, your environment, your challenge, your, your situation. And we all face one. Because as soon as we whip one giant, well, here comes another one. So you have to have a seed. You and I cannot win this world without a seed that's already won this world. And here it is. Be of good cheer, he said, I've overcome the world. So I have to put that seed in me because myself, I'm just dirt and there's nothing in me of my own except maybe what my parents put in, what I have read, what somebody's come into my life. That's the only seeds I have that are positive. How about you? I mean, apart from the word. That's the only thing people have. That's why they're condemned. It's because nobody gave them an attaboy. Why wouldn't they? Because they're just trying to get their own attaboy. So there's not, there's not room for anybody or anything anymore. Uh, verse 26, it says, So the kingdom of God is as if a man should cast seed into the ground. So we got, now listen, you got to cast seed into the ground. If you refuse, if you disobey, if you choose a sorry seed, you get a thistle, you get a briar, you get a, 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 a weed seed, and you plant that in your life because that's what you've always been raised with, you will not have a good life. So if you believe the Bible is a seed that says you never know what God's going to do, God's in control, you're not going to have a good life because that's not true seed. It's, it's a seed, all right, but it has no power to bless. So if I can allow my life by coming to church, reading the Word, being around Christians or positive people or whatever, and get them to plant seeds in me, and I open the gate of my heart so that they will, I chase after them. I, I read their books. I listen to their tapes. I, 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 I look, I ask God for understanding when I read the Word, when I meditate the Word. Then seeds are going in, and a harvest is coming out. It doesn't matter what situation I was raised with or what I came into. It doesn't matter what bad thing I fell into. You know, your brother swindled you or whatever. We hear stories all the time about inheritances that, uh, that uh, one, one sister or one brother went in there and took it all. I've read many stories. I, I read an article online sometimes, and it happens all the time. Uh, whatever it is, we have to cast a seed into our ground because there's plenty of other seeds trying to be planted in our ground of inferiority, uh, the women, all the women have had to struggle through being second class and being uh, all those things that, they, that, that were put on them that says you're not this and you can't do that. They may have gone overboard a little bit and got a little secular, got a little humanistic, would you say? Because you got to get it in Jesus. you got to get it from the Word of God. So obedience will, this is it, obedience will increase your life beyond your intellect. If you will find a seed that is greater than you, then you can have a harvest that's greater than you. You'll talk to somebody that, that got married and they'll, the guys will always say, yeah, I'm married above my pay grade or whatever. Well, that's what this is. The word is a seed that'll put you above your pay grade. You're not that, you, we're, all, we're all smart. I mean, everybody in here is smart, but nobody in here is millionaire on their own smart. And I, I say that guardedly because I don't want to put anything about it. But I guarantee you everybody in, in here is a millionaire 
with millionaire seed planted in their soil. Well, why, why am I not? Because we didn't obey the word to have that seed put in us. We didn't pursue it, didn't chase after it. We didn't, we didn't grab a hold of it. Same thing with healing. Just think, same thing with child raising. How come my kids are this and that? Well, you didn't obey the word to put the seed of, of life inside of you to change the soil so you'd know what to do. Let's move on from that. You know Ephesians 3.20, exceeding abundantly above what you could ask, think, or imagine. That is the minimum. What you know is the minimum. Knowledge is the minimum, he said, above what you ask or think. So we should renew our mind to have a good minimum. But God says, if you'll plant the seed of the impossible into your life, listen, if you will plant the seed of, I can raise the dead, I can, I can, I can sow a million dollars into missions. If you'll plant that seed from the Word, it can't help but grow up, no matter what soil is in you. No matter, you're, making, you're making $19 down at the factory or whatever, and there's no way you can do anything but just raise your kids, pay your bills, and make the car payment. But the seed of greatness that we can put in us will have to bring a harvest of that same like kind. And if we don't have it in our life, it's because we didn't plant it in our life. Everybody's soil is good enough. Sorry, soil. You know, I just didn't have a chance. And my daddy and my mama and whatever. The soil is irrelevant. It's the seed that changes everything. Uh, there's no mastery without mastering the process of seed time and harvest. There's no mastery. If you don't master seed time and harvest, if you just think, well, I, I, good luck, and, you know, I know somebody down at the plant, or, you know, I got a deal going. I, I know all these men that's always got a deal going. But it's nothing going to happen apart from the seed that's going. And it's not too late. I was thinking the other day of, the, uh, of uh, Charles and Francis Hunter, some of the greatest soul winners that have ever been. She smoked cigarettes and blew it into the preacher's face for 10 years. He would come every Saturday and sit down with Francis in her little kitchen, and, he, and she would just mock him and blow. But he got her born again at 55, and her and Charles turned the world upside down. It's not too late. Amen. So everybody has a seed to sow. Let's say it first person. I have a seed to sow. Because you got the word. You got some great seeds. Now, obviously, when you go to plant your garden every year, you go into the barn and you look at all your seeds and you say, what are we going to have this year? What do we want this year? And once you decide that, you go to the bin or the package or whatever, and you pull out that seed. It corresponds with what your desires are, what you want. You pick out that seed and you go plant that seed. There's no surprises. I said there's no surprises. So if you're not having a good life, you're either blindfolded going into the seed bin or you're not making it out to the garden because the seed planted will bring a harvest of that seed. And so everybody, everybody has a seed. Now, if we sow the wrong seed, if we sow idle, barren, and unemployed seed, you know that's what that's going to be. Uh, you know, uh, those seeds are what gets people killed early. 
and it's what keeps us from having money. Well, you know, about this time, we always have a, a, a layoff at the plant, and so we always have to go into summer with no money. That stuff is killing. It's murder. Those, those are murderous words. When you're in the world, and we all were, we approach life with an analytical approach, saying, what do I want in my life? What, what do I want out of life? I've heard men say, I'll be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. And most of them, they're well on their way by the time they get 30. They, but they water that seed, they cultivate it, they don't let. And they're ruthless. Many times they're the meanest people on the planet because of that goal. And so I'm not advocating that. But what they do is they, they take an approach. We all start out this way. You take an approach that says, I want to do this with my life. But you don't have any experience with knowing if that's going to work. So you, have, you go and get other people's experience. What do you think about me being of this or doing of that? And uh, they say, well, you know, it worked for me. But then you get into it and it's not working for you. Do you all know what I'm talking about? It's, I'm trying to say is it's a hit and miss approach. And so you could be that, that old joke that says I spent all my life climbing the corporate ladder and found out when I got to the top, I was on the wrong ladder. Very true. So you could spend almost most of your life raising your kids. What do you do? Well, I can't, don't have time with my goals to raise my kids. I got to meet this goal and I got to go. So you go out there and you hit it and you neglect things. When I started out in farming, I neglected some things because I was gone all the time. You never finished. You just quit. And so I, I went up the wrong tree. But in God, now that's where I want to talk about the seed. In God, there's a thing called wisdom. And even though you don't have experience, you don't know where it is, the seed groweth up and he know not how. But wisdom does. Wisdom gets it to be the, the blade, the ear, the full corn in the ear. And we have wisdom that we say, God, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to follow that. And I'm going to study this and meditate this. And I'm getting rid of these so-called friends that are dragging me down. And I'm getting a hold of me some, some friends that are Godward and some friends that love the things of God. And you start, you start getting kind of where in your life you're more absolute. You kind of take a hard line on what the world says. Everybody's got to go everywhere and do everything. So uh, wisdom knows before the trial and error experience. What's going to work? Wisdom, no. I loved farming like I don't know anybody that loved farming. I loved farming. I was, I was totally in. But the day that he said, I want you, I walked completely away from it. It upset my family so much. So much so that my father said he would farm my land for a year, thinking that he could talk me out of it in a year to not let my equipment and my farm go uh, sell it or anything. But I was in. Well, that's what it takes. I've had a very, very good uh, life. So pride and tradition. Pride. Oh, gosh, what that clock do? And tradition. Let me just finish this. Pride and tradition keep us from saying God's wisdom will be enough. Pride and tradition will keep us from saying God's wisdom is enough. Because we want to know how the blade, the ear, and the full corn in the ear, we want to know how. And we can't process wisdom. It's, uh, it's wisdom. 
So we want to be able to tabulate this thing, engage it, and walk it out. But that's the world. And that's where we came from. So uh, we're afraid to sow into meditating the Word of God. Because why? Because we're chasing experience. Like, I, I got to work. I got to go to the factory. I got to go do this. And I don't have time to meditate the Word. And so we fail. Pride and tradition will keep us from meditating the Word because we don't have time. Pride and, and tradition will keep us from sowing into our marriage and to our family. I, I haven't got time. And, and what my family told me was, is someday, this is so funny, he, he won't watch it, so I'll say it anyway. He said, someday, Michael, all this sacrifice is going to pay off. Well, he's 90 years old. <laughs> I, you know, it's just like, okay. It doesn't work out that way. Try, pride and tradition will keep us in from, uh, they will keep us into, we will fail to sow into non-demanding relationships. In other words, we'll just sow into people that we can get a return. Our old buddies, our friends, our social club and all that. We won't sow into people that can't pay back. We, we won't sow into dreaming. We got to dream, y'all. You got to find a closet. You got to find a place behind the tree and spend three hours just dreaming, just looking at the sky and saying, God, what, what is the next step here? Because I don't know. Experience says this is the way I should go. Uh, pride and tradition will keep us from guarding our heart, and things will get in and trip us up. You know what that means. It slips up on us. Uh, pride and tradition will make us impatient, and we won't wait on the seed. I got a lot of money in the kingdom. Do you? I got a lot. I mean, there's no telling what I could live in or drive if I had that seed back. The only thing is, is the seed replaces itself. So if you'd saved all that money, you wouldn't have any more money than you have right now. That's how that works.